Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Growth Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Bellotti, and I'm really excited today to dig into why your product-led growth PLG attempts aren't working. We're going to talk all about what good looks like, what the first principles are, what you need in order to have a product-led growth motion to work. We have Morgan Brown, who is the VP of Growth at Shopify, and also Laura Borghesi, who is the VP of Growth at GymPass. Both have helped implement product-led growth models. This was a session that we did on Clubhouse, where some folks asked Q&A at the end, but this is the core conversation at the beginning of that. It was a really fantastic one with some great insights. So let's go ahead and listen in. I would love just like a quick explanation from either Morgan or Laura. Laura, let's start with you. Can you just like quickly define product-led growth? Just give us a stage for how you frame it and how you think about it. I really like the definition that OpenView uses. And it goes as product growth is a the go-to-market motion where the product usage basically serves as a primary driver for user acquisition, expansion, and retention. So making it a full circle. Awesome. And Morgan, what's your high level for it? Yeah, I think that's a, a great explanation. And kind of really the way that I think about it is, like Laura said, is that there are compounding loops with the way that your users use a product that can contribute to your growth. And product-led growth is really responsible for identifying what those are, building those, improving those, and and turning that usage into contribution to growth, basically. I feel like because of this high potential for growth and all that, there are so many companies and startups and, and folks in growth that are saying, and I think especially early founders are saying, we need product led growth. We need to implement the product led growth model. This is going to be our answer for how we get to, you know, from our series A to our series B and beyond and grow and scale our company. And I think I've seen a bunch of people start up on a PLG, product led growth motion, and then fumble, misstep, or do it in a space where it just doesn't really quite make sense to have that sort of model, given what, what Morgan and Laura were saying about how it can power things forward. Like there are just some businesses where it just doesn't quite work. I would love to hear from either of you what some examples of, of companies that just do it really well that you've, you've seen nail it. And I think that'll give us a good base for this is what good looks like. And then maybe we'll talk about like, this is what usually doesn't work and give some people some insight into what they could be doing differently around their attempts at PLG. So we'd love to, either of you can jump on in with some examples of, of who does it well and why. Obviously, Darius and Gila, who are in the room, also have a ton of experience here. So I'd love to hear their, their point of view on it. I think the, the first thing you have to ask yourself is, do you need a growth team? Right. Like I think, uh, do you need a product like growth team? Does it need to be separate from your, from your product team? And I think when you look at companies over time, many of them oscillate back and forth, right? Like they will start with a product team and then say they need a growth team. And then that growth team will get reabsorbed uh, back into the, the main product team. And I think companies like Uber, Pinterest, uh, and others have kind of gone through the back and forth. I think some of the, the canonical product growth teams that exist out there today. Obviously, Facebook is one of the most uh, prominent ones. And then, you know, you can look at some of the different teams that like Airbnb and so on, Atlassian, HubSpot, where Brian kind of kicked that off as well. So, yeah, I think it really, really depends on 
how your product team works and operates, uh, the stage of your company that you're at, the idea of product market fit or not, and then you know what those teams are trying to achieve and, and the best the best model to do so. So I think most people or many people get excited, like you said, about the notion of product like growth and like, oh, we need this thing. And I think it's important to like step back actually and from first principles, figure out if you need it or, or not. And plus one, all of that more again, definitely all the companies that you mentioned do that really, really well. A couple more to add to the list are definitely Slack and Zoom. Uh, I once was trying to define when do you actually feel you need like a product-led growth model or not. And I found this article about when the opposite is true. So when you actually, what I call a traditional sales-led go-to-market strategy is advisable, right? And and I remember there were a couple of examples that were mentioned. One is like when you have a hyper-niche solution, right? So when your total addressable market may not be huge and they may need something really, really custom. The other example is like when you're introducing somewhat a new category, right? When you're launching a new category. And it really resonated with the experience that I had at, at MongoDB because that company started with a more traditional sales-led motion. Because at the time, at the very beginning, when, when the product was launched, it was kind of introducing a new category. Yes, it was still database, but it was like a very different way of doing databases in that sense. And only many years later, when I joined them, it made sense at that point to add the product-led motion because now we're not talking about a new category anymore, right? We were talking about something that now had enough understanding about it amongst users that, you know, a completely product-led motion would make more sense to complement sort of like the, uh, the sales-led one. So I think those questions, like going back to first principles, as you said, Morgan, are really good. So once again, if you're introducing a new category or if you have a really hyper-niche solution, probably asking yourself whether a product-led motion model makes sense is a good one to start with. I'd love to double click here and keep talking about some of these first principles of what do you need to see existing in either the business model or signals from an existing sales heavy go to market? Like what are those first principles that like without this, a product led growth motion is probably not going to work? I want to say the very first one, Matt, is very basic what is the need that your product is trying to solve really, really strong ones? One, and second, is your product solving it in a really different way? And by different, I mean, it's easier for users to use, it's more frictionless, it's faster, and so on and so forth. If you take this Slack example, right? Uh, Slack wasn't just introducing a chat, it was trying to replace email. So technically, it was creating this new way of messaging with with colleagues and multiple colleagues that was faster and easier for users to understand, right? Not that you couldn't do that with email. It was just like, once again, faster and easier for users to do that. And so I think that is a good first principle that I would always want to double check, right? When deciding on product-led growth. Yeah, I think for me, a few things that have to be true in order for this to make sense are one, just baseline, do you have product market fit, right? Do you have a compelling, sticky, retentive product, um, however you choose to measure that, right? Whether that's 
daily active users, monthly active users. Uh, basically, what you're looking for is a stable J curve retention curve uh, that flattens out at some point, which basically means that when you add a bunch of people into your ecosystem, some level of them stick in so that you can compound growth. And so different product types have different levels of good when it comes to uh, retention. And there's lots of great articles out there. Lenny Rachitsky did a, a good kind of uh, survey of this for his newsletter. But you want kind of this like product market fit, ideally defined by a stable retention curve. That's one. If you don't have that, you don't want to focus on growth, you want to focus on getting there first. I think the second thing is really understanding the engagement loop and uh, that you expect from people that use your product and, and the time frame with which that occurs, right? So if you have a product use case that has a very long interval between purchases, using product-like growth to move that interval can be really, really challenging, right? So how many times do you buy life insurance? How many times do you buy a home or new mattresses? And so like looking at that kind of purchase consideration cycle and seeing if there is some kind of like traction that you can get there that, that will be meaningful or not is really something important to look for. And I think when the answer is, no, this is a really long cycle time, that's not an immediate exclusion of product-led growth, but you probably have to optimize around, you have to probably use product-led growth towards some other metric, right? Like buying a home, you don't do that very often. You might check home prices on Zillow very often, right? And so on. Uh, you might not change jobs very often. You might look for jobs or see what's out there very often. And so you really have to kind of understand the engagement loop and that, that flywheel you're kind of going for and whether optimizing that and improving that and expanding that can be done uh, through the, the product dimension. And then I think you also really need to understand how your product grows and what the inputs into that growth equation are, which of those have maximal leverage from software, basically, right? So some will not have maximal leverage from software, like brand necessarily right off the bat, but some will have great leverage from software. And, and when, when that part of the equation is really central to your growth, then product-led growth can unlock that leverage that you get from software maybe faster than, than otherwise. So let's say somebody listening to this is saying, okay, we've got most of those factors that both of you talk through. We have a good cadence that is optimal for a PLG model. We have a really great customer and user experience that people want to share and has some function of sharing. And we've been trying to do product-led growth and it keeps falling flat. Like we're trying experiments. I can't figure out how to get it to work. What do I do from here? Like what should I reevaluate everything that I'm doing? Is, is it maybe something in my approach that's not quite right? Like what, what would you tell somebody that's in a spot where they feel like they have all the factors, but for some reason they just can't quite get that flywheel going? I want to start, Matt, by saying that Product-led growth is not something that you start today and it, it immediately, you know, it's not a silver bullet that you're looking for, right? Uh, so it's a series of optimizations. So I would say you shouldn't expect 
things to immediately change the moment you start uh, you start following that model right that go to market strategy i think if you do have all the elements that that we mentioned before where i would start from is two areas right the first one is looking at the data that you have about all the steps of the user journey from how they find a product to how they sign up for your product and how they try and use it depending on the model you have how they engage with the product right and ultimately how they retain on the model on the product as well as obviously how you want to monetize it i would look at those different steps and the data that you have available there and sort of like try to estimate and have a good guess at where are the biggest drop offs or where are the biggest friction points that users might encounter uh, as they go through and i would start there and then yes to running experiments as you mentioned but it's not that if you are trying to change and and improve part of the experience and you don't find the right solution right away you should give up right again provided that all the the good elements are in place Yeah, I think just to to build on that, I think where growth teams, kind of product growth teams kind of stall or stumble out of the gates are in a couple of areas. One, they don't have maybe the executive or necessary buy-in from leadership to like go execute on their ideas, right? So they may find it hard to get going. If you are a engineering and product team that comes to another product team's surface or experience and says, hey, we want to change this without like great rationale, great trust, great understanding, great executive sponsorship, it's going to be really hard. And so kind of like making sure you have good alignment, both uh, organizationally is kind of a essential prerequisite to making this, this work really well. And input to that is also like figuring out ways that early on, you can demonstrate competency and results in an area that is hopefully like low stress, you know, an area that's like important, but maybe like not as comparatively important as some other services or highly political services. I think sometimes what happens is you can look at a funnel or something like that. And you can say, oh, the biggest opportunity is here on the homepage, right? Well, the homepage might be the most political place in your entire product. Or it could be in the onboarding, but onboarding sacrosanct or whatever. And so when you are starting off and you're unproven in kind of demonstrating impact, the idea of growth hacking has negative connotations. People are worried about, and rightfully so, things about dark patterns, anti-patterns, tricking people, shortcuts, crappy code. All of that are fears that you want to be aware of that your cross-functional partners may have, even if they're not articulated. And so you need to start by finding a surface that, or an experience that you can move the needle on that has like low political overhead and that you can demonstrate competency and start to build trust. At Shopify, we have an internal concept called the trust battery, which is essentially, you know, that goodwill and that alignment and understanding of how someone's like coming at a problem. And so as a new product-led growth team, you need to build that trust battery with your organization and with the teams that are responsible for the big surfaces that you hope to operate within in order to be able to start to make progress there. So that's one is the alignment. The second one, it really is kind of like starting small. It's very hard without that trust battery to take big swings 
right off the bat, right? Like you kind of want to scope your problem down, try to really make sure at Facebook, the product development process was understand, identify, execute. So as Laura said, understand the problem really well, identify the best levers to pull in it and then execute at super high quality. And you want to do that on a surface where you can demonstrate those results. And then you can take that result and then you can start to championing the approach that you have in more places kind of across the company. So yeah, it's it's how you organize yourself, how you build alignment, how you get buy-in, and then how you go demonstrate competence. A lot of people I've seen that stumble, skip one of those steps. And that's usually one of the, the main pain points. And one of the things that I want to add on top of what Margaret said about alignment, which is critical, is also how growth teams or growth cross-functional groups should position themselves at a company, Matt, because I think the biggest blockers is somewhat this idea that only growth teams are responsible for growth, right? And that's not true. So one of the things that I've seen really successful growth teams work on is to position themselves as somewhat enablers, right? So they are not necessarily the ones making all the changes, particularly when it comes to, as Morgan mentioned before, areas of the product that might be politically charged internally or harder to change, uh, but they position themselves as sort of like, hey, I've spotted this opportunity based on the data and user input that I've gotten. I'm going to run this experiment to collect data for you, product manager or engineer who've been working on this feature for a long time or this part of the product for a long time and empower you with the data that I find, right? And then you're going to make the decision on whether or not you want to use that data and how. But that I've seen creates that good collaboration and alignment across multiple teams that obviously a growth team alone cannot just have by itself, but the true power comes in when when they can enable other teams to actually think in a more growth fashion and enable them with data, right? Yeah. So it's not just the leverage that you can get on your own team, but you're increasing the likelihood that you're product-led growth motion is going to work by empowering all the other teams to start to make decisions with that sort of mindset. Exactly. And then where that becomes even more powerful is that then the growth team becomes sort of like a center of excellence, right? Uh, at a company where they establish, you know, the frameworks, the best practices, they do run some parts of, of the PLG model, but it's this sort of like empower and educate other teams to also apply the same principles. That way, yes, like the impact is much is much bigger. All right, in the spirit of the of the core topic here, uh, which is why your product growth attempts aren't working, I would love to hear both of your takes. You know, if if you have different perspectives on it, like at what point do you say this just isn't going to work? We tried it and we're trying it. Morgan, you were talking earlier about a lot of companies go through this cycle of, you know, they spin up a growth team and it gets reabsorbed and they do that with the intention of of driving a product-led growth model. At what point do you just say, it's not working because it's not going to work? <laughs> like, how do you make that call? With any approach or with any kind of strategy in your business is like, hey, are you getting leverage out of this thing or not? And if the answer is no in my book, then you want to diagnose why, right? Is it execution risk? Is it organizational misalignment? 
is it that our understanding of the business is wrong or there are other higher priorities? And so, or is it just something we can't execute on right now? And so it's really important to, if you're like, hey, this isn't working the way we hope for, it's not having the business impact we hope for, like rather than just like making a call to like stop or, or kill it, it's like really understand why and then see if those things can be debugged or not. I think some obvious places where you can say, oh, hey, this is probably not the right fit for us is certainly if you see signs of not having product market fit, you know, if you don't have any retention, if you just kind of have the world's leakiest bucket, then I think pretty obvious sign that you want to go and shift and really focus on improving that retention. When you have diminishing returns over time, if you get really good at it, or if you're, you know, kind of like optimizing things, ultimately you'll get to a point where the returns you're getting out of your work will get smaller and smaller. And so at that point, you have to kind of step back and say, Hey, are we on a local maxima? You know, so are we on a, a point where we can't really optimize further? And is the growth team or is our product like growth approach the best opportunity for us to get off this local maxima and onto a new global maxima path? Or is it really about stepping back and kind of like creating new product value? So I think very rough heuristic that I use in my head is core product creates value. Product like growth connects people to, to that value and builds the systems to kind of like create that flywheel and make it as performant as possible. And so when either of those things are not true, it's always a good sign to like step back, reassess, and then understand the underlying driver for that or the cause of that. Maybe one thing is like, hey, we're going to fold product-led growth back into core product or you know, one of many other decisions. Yeah, which actually uh, Morgan sparkled another, another thought, which is what is the primary difference between you know, what the core product team does and what the product growth team does and and that's exactly i think it's important to stress that point that you made which is ideally the core product team works on creating new features improving the existing features whereas the growth team works on the distribution of the product right somehow finding the right users making sure that those users engage with the product and also making sure that they retain they stay on on a retention curve that's that's sustainable and i think that's a good way to think about also roles and and responsibilities just to make sure that people don't get confused about who does what right i always think about core product team and growth product team as sort of like complementary to each other. But then, yes, it makes sense to reassess when either of the two is not working, sort of like take a step back and do do a good analysis on what is not working in, in each and one of the, of the two areas, right? Yeah, Laura, it's a really good point that, you know, kind of the, the way things are set up are different at, at different companies. So for example, at Shopify, we have our core product team, which builds the online store, kind of the the Shopify admin, right? They're building the retail operating system. Yeah, it's a very different set of work where we're trying the growth team, which uh, I'm part of. We have two pillars where we have growth marketing, which is kind of performance, customer acquisition, and all of that type of work, which I lead. And then we have growth product, which is kind of my counterpart in our overall growth org that works on like the activation and that type of uh, thing. 
where our groups are focused on very different things. And so really understanding that operating model and who's doing what is really, really essential. Uh, and then at Facebook, their model was even slightly different where they have the core growth team, which is really focused on monthly active users, daily active users. Then the individual product teams will also have their own growth teams. So like Marketplace will have its own growth team. Facebook groups will have its own growth team. And then there is a third group, which is like the center of excellence that Laura talked about called product growth. And this is a team that embeds with those other product growth teams to help them find opportunities to, to grow. And so there are multiple ways you can kind of go about it. But yeah, to Laura's point, really figuring out areas of ownership and aligning there is, is key to, to making this work. All right. Thank you again so much for listening to the podcast. I really appreciate it. I know there are so many things you can do with your time and energy, things you can watch, do, listen to, whatever it might be. So I appreciate you spending that time here. My email is mattadrift.com if you got feedback for anything at all. If you are a fan of this, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. We have other amazing guests and great topics. So check those out. If you're a fan, I would super appreciate you spending the one to two minutes writing a five-star review on the app store, podcast store, whatever it is, (laughs) the podcast app that you use. It would mean a lot. It helps get the folks joining here more of a platform and gets all these insights and learnings out there. So thank you for doing that in advance and I will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.